0: The Wainwright Prize, the stories behind the books, brought to you by PlanetPod. Welcome to this special edition of PlanetPod with me, Amanda Carpenter, celebrating the 2020 Wainwright Prize, in which we bring you the stories behind the books through interviews with this year's shortlisted authors. Now in its seventh year, the Wainwright Prize for UK nature writing is awarded annually to the book which most successfully inspires readers to explore the outdoors and to nurture a respect for the natural world. The prize was founded in memory of Alfred Wainwright by Francis Lincoln, who published the iconic Pictorial Guides to the Lakeland Fells. There's a strong link between walking and writing, whether it's striding out across the fells or meandering through woodland, the very act of walking seems to unlock and release creativity what better way to celebrate and commemorate that most famous of walkers than through this prize? This year's prize has been extended to include a second category for books about global conservation and climate change. And the two short lists reflect the breadth and range of contemporary nature writing, both in the UK and around the world. Dancing with Bees, A Journey Back to Nature by Bridget Strawbridge Howard is an eloquent account of the author's return to noticing the natural world around her. With special attention to the plight of pollinators Bridget shares her journey with us as she rediscovers nature, and it is filled with fascinating details of the lives of the flora and fauna that bring her ever-increasing wonder and delight. Bridget, welcome to Planet Pod, and thanks so much for joining us.
1: Hello, thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Um, You talk in your book about how you spent many years of your life not noticing the bumblebees right under your nose, a sort of selective seeing, you call it. How did the revelation about their existence and how did the seeing of them come about and is that what sparked you to write the book
1: so so yes a couple of things happened at around the same time and sort of going back I don't know um 10 12 15 years I was um becoming aware of the the um all the apocalyptic headlines about bee decline in in the media so so as a person who was concerned about environmental issues that that concerned me a lot Um, and at first very much from a human-centric point of view I was worried about the the food chain and and like many other people I thought it was all about honeybees Um, but at the same time during that same period I I used to I lived on the Malvern Hills in Worcestershire and I used to walk um, three four times a week over the hills to get to work or into town. And and I, I literally one day, you know, I just walk, just walk, I wasn't seeing or noticing anything. And one day I don't know what it was, but something stopped me dead in my tracks. Um, and, and I just suddenly had this crazy realization, and this is where my book starts. I suddenly realized I knew more about the French Revolution than I did about our native trees, and it was the most massive wake-up call, and because because I've been, it felt a bit like a gift, you know, a blessing, um, an opportunity to to rekindle what was a childhood um, love, and I always felt safe in nature when I was little. So the two together, my my interest in bees and this this sudden, oh, desperate need to play catch up and discover everything and learn about the things, um, you know, the trees, the plants, the insects around me, is what started me on my my journey and it, it, it has been and still is an ongoing journey um, and I, I knew um I knew that I wanted to write a book about bees um, my, my reason specifically for writing about bees was was to talk to tell people about the wonder of of, of the world of bees and initially um, I became obsessed with um telling people that it's not all about the honeybee um and and about bee decline I wanted to talk about the causes of bee decline um, I, I campaigned on this for 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 many years and still do um to a certain extent so so I knew I wanted to marry these two things together um and and I was already doing a lot of talks I was writing the odd blog and using social media and it just occurred to me that I might um, reach a wider audience if i put this down in a book, um, and so I told everyone I was writing a book, um, and you know it's one of those things when you tell people you're going to do something, you kind of have to do it, and and I started and I I, I put things together and it changed and evolved, um, and as I changed and as I became more and more immersed um, during my walks, my walks became a nightmare to walk with because I stopped everything. Um, look at everything and so my book changed the the um the the emphasis changed from um call to action and lots of capital letters about bee decline to a softer and a more gentle approach much the same as i was using at the time in my talks just just to just say wow you know do you know there's such a thing as a bee that nests in a snail shell and that male bumblebees have mustaches and I thought if I could share these um, these little um, nuggets of information uh, about the bees, I I might, uh, at the very least, prompt people to look twice, like like I had done. And if I was really lucky, maybe go so far as to 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 um, prompt them to fall in love with the bees as well. So so that's kind of where my book came from, um, and
0: that's why it took such a long time to write. Well, it evolved, didn't it? And it was your, your journey. And do you feel that your life has changed as a result of writing the book? I mean, you talk about stopping to notice things. Have you have you changed the pace of your life and the way you live your life as a result of the noticing and, and, and the book becoming the kind of, I guess, the expression of that noticing?
1: Enormously, yes. It, it's um, on two counts. So firstly, because I was writing about um, particular species of bee, and I'm talking about native wild bees here, bumblebees and solitary bees um, it, it it meant that there, there were times when um, I, I had the luxury you know I'd go on field trips and sit for hours watching um, a nesting site initially so I could write about it um but that led me you know I put down the pencil and stopped thinking about what I was going to write and just become totally absorbed in what I was seeing and that created for me a window um, into a wider world you know so it started with bees but um, when you're watching bees you cannot help but notice um, little bits about the way they interact with the flowers that they're foraging on or um, you know so then you notice the flowers and then something else lands on a flower and you think I wonder what that is um, and, and I wonder this do you know this is the biggest thing that happened to me is is the, the every day now, um, I find I am not only in awe, and I've, I've certainly rekindled that, not just the passion, but the, the wonder that I had as a child. And I question, I ask, I, I, I muse, I ponder. I, think, I wonder what's going on here. And I've never done that before. So, so um, you know, that's another whole thing that writing the book has, has um, prompted in me.
0: It's a gift from the bees, really, isn't it? A, a wonderful gift to you to, to to make you sit up and notice. And I don't know if you've been aware of this, where, where where you live in the part of the world you're in, but but many of us have experienced that sense of being able to take notice because we've been forced to stay home through lockdown. Um, and, the you know, the, the prevailing narrative is that we've all suddenly become much more aware of the natural world. And hopefully that, that will make us less destructive of it so so that sense of being able to take the time is really really important both as a writer and as a as a as a conservationist isn't it
1: oh i think it's terribly important and i think that's if there's one message um because my book is is it you know that there is a message in in my book and my message is that it is important to stop to 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 somehow jump off the merry-go-round make time um to 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 watch and to really really look and to notice this this for me it's been a return to noticing and um and yeah I I, I walked before we lots of us walk I see people I live on a lovely little lane on the outskirts of Shaftesbury and and I've noticed during lockdown lots more people hundreds of people walking up and down the road um and I I, you can divide them into two groups there are the ones that walk and they're benefiting and they're, they're you know they're they're enjoying being outside and um, and I'm guessing the, um, the fresh air and the sounds of the birds and the, um, everything is helping them and um, it is, it's a healthy thing to do but some of them have walkmans on, some of them are talking into phones and many of them still do that but without noticing. Uh, um, what, what's been lovely has been to see the groups of people who do stop to look and take time to notice uh, because we have time or we had time during lockdown. So I've
0: loved seeing that, um, yeah. It's a skill as well as an art though, isn't it? Knowing how to look and what to look for. And did you find that you had to sort of retrain yourself? And do you think it's something that others of us could learn? Um, because that sense of needing to get from A to B is so often what motivates us and we don't take the time to dally. So is that something that, a skill that we all have innately or is it something you think we could learn and develop? Ah, oh, yeah, so it's so this is an interesting one
1: because i also occasionally i i do bee walks i i i only in the local lanes and um and i have done them in the past in the back garden and i think it's it's about the being inquisitive and stopping to look but if you don't know what you're looking at it's hard to keep looking at it um so i think the the thing is if it is a a re-skilling, it's it's i don't think it's a skill i think it's more more like having a few instructions a few guidelines so so, sort of look at look at that bee. It's a little bit like like um, you might do, you know, I do it with my grandchildren um, and my son, <laughs> my daughter, and I say, sort of, have, have a look at the bee. Then, yeah, okay, it's a bee. So, what's it doing? Well, I don't know. It's on a flower, but but where is it on the flower? What what's what what can you tell me? And and I think it's a little bit like it must be a little bit like an art lesson. Um, you know, when an art teacher tells you to really look at um, the shapes, the negative spaces, the spaces between whatever you're looking at, and and the light and it's no different I don't think um to to maybe the skill set that you need um when when you're drawing or painting um, or taking a photograph um so so I think it's something along those lines does that make sense
0: yeah complete sense complete sense and encouraging to know that we don't have to be terribly skilled we just need to take the time um how under threat are our bees because we hear a lot about our bee populations and as you say I know lots of people talk about honeybees um, but bees and pollinators generally are, are you know the emblematic of, of conservation issues aren't they because we look at the decline in insects across all of our lives and you know the, the, the famous thing about driving along in the car and not having insects on the windscreen in the same way so how much under threat are our bees and other pollinators from what's happening at the moment
1: Well, they are under threat, um, some more so than others. You know, there are winners and losers, but the majority are are losers. And they're, you know, they're bombarded. There are so many issues. I I mean, people, um, everybody knows about habitat loss. And when you think of bees, you think probably, um, so what do bees need? They need flowering plants, but um, they need so much more than that. They they need um, habitat to nest in as well, the right sort of nesting habitat, um, the right sort of um, habitat to hibernate. Um, they need a pesticide-free environment, um, and then climate change, which, which um, you wouldn't think. You think, well, how does climate change affect um, bees? And, and it's affecting bees and other insects, other uh, wildlife, in in so many ways, tangible and more subtle. Um, so, if we take droughts and floods, for instance, it's obvious if there's a flood um, and there's a nest of um, underground bees you know a bumblebee nest beneath the ground that it might flood and it might kill the bees um and and with a drought uh, weather like this you know the, the bees might be too hot to come out but also with, with when it's been incredibly hot for days or weeks on end flowers um are, are sort of in survival mode as well and they may pull back on the nectar um production because they haven't had any water so they can't they don't have the luxury to be able to produce nectar anymore so So that's something you might not think about. And one of the biggest things um, and the most awkward things is the relationship between bees and pollinators, other insects and flowering plants, is that they're a little bit out of sync now as well. So so if you have um, a very, very hot February, um, you might have a mass emergence of um, queen, hibernating queen bumblebees very little flowering for them to forage on, so they've come out too soon. Um, or, or it might be the other way around. You know, the the, the bees might stay in hibernation longer uh, and they're missing, especially with solitary bees. Uh, solitary bees rely very much, um, compared to some of the other more generalists, a lot of them rely on a particular um, family of, of plants to be there when they emerge. So so, so yeah, these, these bigger issues, um, and I have tackled them um, in the book, although the book is you know, essentially it's about bees and um, and my love of bees. Um, it, it I, I wanted it was, it was very important to me that I was able to 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 bring in issues like climate change and um, pesticides and shifting baselines, um, habitat loss. And I've kind of done that um, through the bees rather than having a chapter about climate change. Um, I've talked, for instance, about a little hairy footed flower bee that, emerge too soon. It's one of my favourite bees. And I saw her on the 17th of February and she hung around for a few days and then there was a frost. Um, and that was an opening um, for me to discuss some of the larger issues like climate change. So so yeah, it, it's bees, bees are being affected. Um, and it's but but we can do things to help, you know, we, we can't stop climate change, the, the, the chaos tomorrow, um, but we can plant, plant, plant. Um, you know, we and we can stop using pesticides. So there's there's a lot that we at home, you know, you and I can do
0: to help bees, to help try and halt or wow, imagine even being able to reverse the decline. Yeah, and it, it makes it so tangible when you put climate change and wider conservation issues in those very specific micro individual examples about your hairy footed hairy footed bee. Can I ask you, where did the title come from, Dancing with Bees? Oh, okay, that's interesting because um,
1: my working title um, for seven or eight years was um, Bees, Trees, and Herbal Tees, because I like the sound of it. Um, and The Dancing with Bees, A Journey Back to Nature, um, came about just as I had pretty much finished the book and I had the final manuscript. And I thought, this is not bees, trees, and herbal teas. This is this is joyful. Um, but it's it's also it is about a dance. It, my my journey has been a dance, and my dance has been with bees. But because I didn't want people to get hung up on thinking it might be a book about the waggle dance, because of course everybody thinks honeybees when they think bees. Um, that then we had the little I don't know what you call it, the subtitle, a little extra bit, um, a journey mm. back to nature. And there was there's just one um, one place in the book where. I thought, oh, I'm just going to write something about dancing with with the bees. I was dancing in 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 um, in a garden in a vegetable patch um, with or alongside the bees.
0: So yeah, that's where the title. That's what a great image that is of you dancing. Is there is there a sh- an extract that you might be able to share with listeners that sums up the book to give them a flavour of the book? Okay. So obviously, as a result of the podcast, they're going to go out and buy a copy because that's really oh, important. Right. Um, um, but, but it'd be lovely to get a taste.
1: All right. Well, I've chosen, one have the a little a page. that's not actually about bees, but that that's to illustrate because as I wrote the book, um, all manner of other creatures jumped on board and... Um, as as they did during my journey, you know, my focus um, by the end of the bees wasn't end of the bees. That's a Freudian slip. End of the book was not just about bees. So, so this is from a chapter <clears throat> um, that is titled um, on Bobby Heathfield. Um, so, and I'll just read one page. Um, that's okay. As my interest in bees has grown, so has my awareness. Of everything that surrounds them or connects them to the web of life they exist within. I feel as though I have embarked on a never-ending journey, a journey that spirals continuously outwards, gathering momentum and taking on a life of its own as it sweeps up all the wondrous wild things that fly, swim, walk or crawl in its wake. I am no longer in the driving seat rather I am being driven or led by some unknown force far bigger than myself and my desire to learn about bees. If I could draw the route of my journey I suspect it might look a little like a spider's web dotted here and there with treasures whose existence I could hitherto not have imagined let alone grasped either in my hands or in my mind's eyes. I find myself giving more attention to some of the wild things that catch my eye than I do to others hares, for instance, whenever I see them take my breath away, as do barn owls. Encounters with both of these animals are, for me, few and far between, which perhaps makes them all the more magical. I am also drawn to everyday magic of wildflowers and mosses and lichens growing in the dorset lanes around our house and tantalized by the songs and calls of unknown birds that sing perched just out of sight in the trees and hedgerows along these lanes. I feel compelled each year as the hedge wound flowers to search out the metallic shield bugs that live amongst its leaves. I never tire of watching these pretty little bugs as they shape shift through various larval stages from flightless green nymphs with smart black collars and buttons to the splendid adults bearing their very own copper-coloured coats of arms. And I spent far more time than I should trying to identify and name the moths our moth trapper tracks before we released them. To date, though... I have consciously resisted the temptation to be sucked into the worlds of all the non-bee species whose paths I crossed in anything more than a, gosh, that's interesting, maybe one day I'll find time to study it in a more detailed kind of way. But all that changed last weekend when I spent an afternoon on Bobby Heathfield Nature Reserve, situated on the edge of Dartmoor with my friend, John Walters.
0: Cliffhanger. <laughs> oh, that's a cliffhanger. Is that, the, is that the cliffhanger or is that the next book when you just know uh, that's
1: a whole chapter about Potter wasps and John oh. Walters is, is um, um, also the illustrator.
0: He, he illustrated yes. my book. Um, wonderful to have illustrations. Well, that's a wonderful cliffhanger to, to leave <laughs> listeners with. And if that doesn't tempt them to go out and buy the book, nothing will. And I'm delighted to hear that this is, this is your first book, not, but not your only book because I'm sure there's so much more you have to say. Bridget, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. It's been wonderful talking to you and, and a really beautiful and lyrical passage to end with. So thank you for that. Um, you you asked us to go out and plant, plant, plant. Is there another brief call to action you'd like to share with listeners as we close? or something we could do to make the life of bees and pollinators better?
1: Well, you know, it's going to sound strange, but, but it, it's... A call to action a call to notice because if you do notice if you start to notice then you take what you notice and use it whoever or whatever you are sort of whatever your skills your the, the time you have the platform you have um so maybe go and write about it paint it campaign about it um do something about it and I feel you know my my call to action is a call to love and a call to noticing so yeah
0: that. (laughs) That's wonderful. Thank you. A call to love is one we can all echo. Thank you so much, Bridget, for being part of the podcast. It's been absolutely delightful to meet you. Thank you, Amanda, so much. Thank you very much indeed. You've been listening to Planet Pod in partnership with the Wainwright Prize. Dancing with Bees, A Journey Back to Nature is published by Chelsea Green Publishing and you can find details of it and all the other shortlisted books on the Wainwright Prize website, along with extracts. Or visit our website, theplanetpod.com, where you can catch up with interviews with the other authors and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening and goodbye been listening to the stories behind the books the planet pod series on the wainwright prize 2020 you can find details of all the shortlisted authors on the wainwright prize website or on our planet pod website do look them up and find out more thanks for listening